Welcome to episode 30, a big even 3-0 for Sim Sundays, or if you'd like, season 2023, episode 2. This week, finally, finally, I get to be with Tom again. I haven't actually been with Tom now. It, it's, I think it's been over a month since you've been, been tough. on the show with me, Tom. How are you? <laughs> it's been tough, man. It's been really tough. You know, actually, do you know what? I'm really good because the reason I haven't been on the show is because I was not forced, encouraged to take some proper, proper time off over, over the Christmas holidays. And I did that, which meant I missed two episodes. But I listened to them back um, recently. And it was kind of cool listening to like our own podcast back, but from like an outsider's perspective, especially right. the first one that we did over Christmas. Well, I enjoyed the, uh, we did the highlights. We did the, the 10 highlights of the, right, right. of last year. That was really cool. Um, but then the one where it was you, Nikhil and our new developer, um, Camille, all on the, uh, all on the show together, talking about like dreams and aspirations for Gridfinder. That was, that was very, very cool. So yes, I've enjoyed it. I'm refreshed. I'm good well, to go. Well, it wouldn't be a new year and a welcome for you to come back without a little bit of a technical issue. We don't have your video feed, but we have. Your oh, voice, God. So that is a good start. Oh, there you are. You're back again. Thanks for that. You know what it was? You know what it was, right? My hand was just hovering over the trackpad on my uh, keyboard and my phone is next to my keyboard vibrated. And anyway, long, boring story, but <laughs> one in a million. Anyway, we should probably move on. <laughs> right. So who do we have on the show today? We have a great guest, actually. I'm, I'm pretty excited to ask a bunch of questions. I am very excited. We are joined by Sim Racing Royalty. This is somebody, Chris, who actually knows how to drive. Um, not <laughs> I don't even understand that. Not saying that we can't, but this guy won the 12 Hours of Bathurst uh, teammate to actual Max Verstappen. You might have heard of him. He's a very famous uh, sim racer. Uh, does love R Factor. Um, he was a winner of Monza Four Hours in the Le Mans Virtual Series only a few months ago. And most impressively, he's the youngest driver in Team Redline. So welcome, Luke Bennett. Thank you for having me. My uh, my first podcast. So uh, I look forward to see see what happens. Well, this one's a nice and easy one because since it's about sim racing, almost every single time we just get into a massive conversation and we're like, oh man, look at the time. We, we got we to gotta wrap the show up. So it's a lot of fun. Luke, your first podcast, are you nervous at all? I, I don't see why I would be. It's, uh, I guess it's just a friendly chit chat really, isn't it, about, about sim what racing. what you think. That's what we won't we? I don't know what to expect. Eh? But, um, I want to yeah, grow no, you on tire pressures. <laughs> I'm tire pressures, right? I'm gonna go well, deep. <laughs> unfortunately for you, I've only ever really done eye racing until the past few months. And, oh, okay. uh, tire pressures aren't too uh, extensive over there, so. Well, if it's not tire pressures, then somebody in the chat uh, live right now has asked me to ask what you would do in the event of a shark attack. So we're either going to go down the shark attack route or the tire pressures temperatures route. Entirely up to you. <laughs> Well, I mean, I don't know much about tire pressure, so I think we're going to have to go straight for the shark attack. Right. I mean, I, well, that's, that's as good as any place to start, right? What would you do as a sim racer in the event of a shark attack? I don't know that the sim racer portion has anything to do with a shark attack. <laughs> I think attack. it does. I think it does. <laughs> well, I think, unfortunately, a sim rig isn't, isn't so waterproof, really, all the electrics. So uh, I don't think I'm, I think I'm a bit of a sitting duck there, to be honest. I, uh, don't think I can do much. That's a great analogy because I feel like a sitting duck would be like the worst. That you, that that would be the That's worst thing to, to be. be honest, yeah, yeah so, a sitting duck. If you anyway, so we derailed the having, show. Right, I'm having flashbacks <laughs> of when I watched Grand Tour, and the three of them would be like, you know, this is a car show. Should we probably should start talking about cars? This is a sim racing show, so we should probably switch into sim racing. Luke, yeah, I have a big question for you. Are you good at that? setups? Can you set up your own car or do you typically have someone else that is, I guess we'll say expert, help you out? I am certainly not the most experienced with setups. I can make a car feel somewhat good. I can't find maybe that extra two tenths or three tenths. I will I, struggle, but as a team, we all find it. You know, it's interesting because I, for some reason, I'll go into the setup screen. We'll take iRacing, for example, and I'll, and I'll sit there and I'm like, okay, I know what all these words mean, 
but I don't know what to do with any of them. I have no <laughs> idea how to make this car better for my driving style whatsoever. So, you know, I screw around for a while, end up making the car absolutely terrible, and then just revert <laughs> back to default and go, okay, I just have to learn how to drive default. That's, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. No, I've I've done that plenty of times. I started sim racing at what, 14 years old, so you gave me a set of page and I'd just sit there scratching my head. I would be like, I have zero clue what I'm doing. I click loads of different buttons and then I'd end up steering left to go right. You're like, what? I have no idea. So, uh, I'm genuinely baffled. So you just said you started at 14. Mm -hmm. What was the first sim that you actually hopped into at the age it, of 14? It was R Factor 2 originally at uh, at simply racing milton Keynes, and uh I, I actually went there one day i was like oh you know i'll have a bit of fun we'll, we'll see what happens and uh mike actually invited me and said you need to come and do some some of this british championship stuff in the cleos and i was like yeah okay i'm probably gonna turn up so i'm gonna be three seconds a lap off youngest guy there everybody's gonna be like oh look at the kid he's he's trying to be with us and then i i turned up and i won the series i did not expect that at all i i i was shocked at myself i was like i, I did not know i had this skill that is absolutely amazing but it's also so frustrating for me because like <laughs> i've been sim racing for so long and i'm just terrible Still, I love it. You're improving. And, you know, I enjoy. I am improving slowly and surely, of course, when, you know, we're getting in touch with people who are good at the games instead of just me kind of crashing and not knowing what I'm doing wrong. But it's it's got to be really cool for you to just kind of sit in the rig and just be able to drive at such a high level. Have Have you at any point in your career so far faced any, I guess, uh, what's the uh, trolls or, or jerks or anything that really are like, oh, you didn't earn keep quite yet, or has it been pretty, pretty good for you? No, there's always been people that will sit there and say, ah, you're you're not good enough. You you won't get nowhere, and that's usually if you beat them. To be honest, like yeah. uh, this, when I started i racing um, in early 2020, you come across these people that you know, a know-it-alls as, as you might think, and then mm -hmm. you would come past and beat them, and they'd be like, ah, oh, you're lucky, whatever. But that doesn't matter in my opinion if, if you know how good you are then you know how good you are it's it's really cool to to have a natural talent like that but yeah they, they after you've beat them they try to reduce it to all oh, beginner's luck or whatever and you're like i mean i'll do it again yeah i was like if you want to come around again you want to do the next race let's go I'll, I'll happily do it what was uh what was simply race like i've heard i've heard good things yeah it was good it's changed venue since i uh, i first started there but I just turned up. is a good venue. It's a, it's a nice place, to be honest. It's quite a chill place. There's music. You have all these sims. You have all these people that are interested in the same thing of you, even if it is quite a niche market, sim racing. But um, it was cool. I enjoyed it. And uh, you know, I, I go there every now and then now to go and, uh, go and see what's going on there. The um, just for the sake of not getting accused of of not putting a hashtag ad in this, our broadcaster Mike, who is uh, who is sat in our ears right now, uh, is a director at Simply Race. So shameless plug, but I've been. It's a lot of fun, and you're right. The best thing about it is the community. It's yes. like, it's kind of like a a little mini sim racing expo all the time. Lots of people mm. who just love sim racing going along, and loads of new people coming in as well. So Mike, there you go. There's your <laughs> there's your plug, Luke. I've got um some questions about what it's like going into such a professional organization as Team Redline that's obviously got its figurehead of Max Verstappen. It's got huge amounts of infrastructure behind it, some serious organization. What was it like going into that kind of environment at, at such a young age, kind of given that you'd started it as a bit of fun? Intimidating. I think that, that's probably one of the main words. You, you see a lot of these, these people even, you know, there's, there's not a lot of people that are the same age as me or younger but there's people that are a little bit older than me and you see these people they they come from uh you know a, a beginner team and then they'll they'll move up the ranks in teams and stuff um and then it, it sort of levels out that intimidation if you know what i mean you know it's it's not it's not such a big move every time but uh, i basically moved from no team i went into fordzilla a team that have been uh quite well known I uh, I stayed there for about three months, and then this was uh, the first three months of me getting a, a new simulator of mine, and um, 
things started to really go well for me. I was good friends with a few people from Team Redline, and um, luckily they managed to get me um, hooked up with some of the managers. I got a message from them. I had actually had a few different teams offer offer me deals, but I decided to go with Redline. You know, they're they're the best team in the world, as voted for last year. And uh, but you know, turning up and you see all these big drivers, Max Verstappen, and Shane Van Gisbergen. And, even Lando Norris at one point, it was intimidating, but once you get used to it, it's it's a nice environment. We're all friends, and uh, it's basically like having a group of friends, but on a much more experienced and um, important level. That's very cool. That's very cool. What was the? Tell us about the actual process of kind of being signed. Because in my head, right, I've got this kind of like FIFA or Formula One <laughs> manager right. or like the F1 game, like the cutscenes, where it's like you've signed a new or... driver. Yeah. Yeah. And you like walk into the lobby and you sit down in like a little fancy coffee place and you sign some contracts. Like what was the process like? And and was there, did there have to be any kind of negotiation between Team Fordzilla and uh, Redline? Well, at the time my Fordzilla contract was running out. It was a very short contract, and I knew that I was going to be free to move teams if I wanted to. And I was actually on iRacing at the time. It was about August last year. And I looked into my messages on iRacing, and Atsu was there. And I was like, I, I don't believe this. And I, I was in contact with another team at the time. Uh, I won't say which team, but same messaged me, and I was like, get the phone out, take a picture, look at this, this is, this is cool. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I started messaging him, we, uh, we got along. I, as I said, I already knew a few of the people in the team. So it, it was quite a, a simple process, I would say. And, uh, you know, I was racing, I think, uh, the, that same month. So yeah, it was nice and simple. So what's the, what's the routine like? So you're now full-time Team Redline? Yes. What's your, what's your, what's your, average, week, what's your average week look like? Well, being 17, it it would be um, stay up until 1, 2 a.m., go go on my phone, uh, wake up quite late, eat, get on the sim, eat, get on the sim. And, uh, you know, that, that that's the way it is. You have a few, a few odd days that you'll go and do something else, whether that be fly out somewhere or, or, or whatever. But, yeah, it's a lot of practice, especially at the moment with the Le Mans Virtual Series going on. That is uh, a lot of hard practice, but uh, yeah, we uh, we practice a lot. That's basically my normal days, eating and sim racing. So in a week's time, how many hours do you think you put in on the sim? Ah, that's, like, a diff that's a difficult question. Is it like a full-time job, like 40-hour-a-week kind of a deal or more? Or... I, I would say yeah, about four, over 40 hours, I would say, yeah. in a week I spend on the sim, uh, yeah. unfortunately. In that 40-ish hours of sim racing time, are you always in like serious practice for the events mode or do you kind of get to relax and maybe play some Wreckfest or I don't know, whatever your, you know, therapy sim racing game might be? When I first started, it was you just jump on for fun. You do you do what you like, to be honest, really. If you want to go into a Mazda MX-5 race, you go and do that. But now with the busy schedule we have with all these different events coming up, it's once you've finished one event, practice for the next one. We, we need yeah. to win this next one. You know, uh, you also got to think of the financial side of things, that big prize money that's coming out. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, it is pretty grueling, the practice. You're sat there, you're, you're sweating. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it, to be honest. It's, I think it's better than what a lot of people my age would be doing, working at a Tesco or something on the weekend. So I'm quite happily sat here on my rig, um, sim racing and uh, earning, earning well. Yeah, you said um, you said earlier that you spend hours and hours in your rig every day. Unfortunately, do I detect a sense that maybe doing it so much is taking the shine off of what was originally a hobby, or or like how, how has doing this full time affected your love of sim racing? I still love it the same amount. I would say it's just a different way. It's uh, instead of going on for fun and. It's it's all good going on for fun, but when you're sat there racing against the best in the world, it's fun racing against all these people that you don't know. But once you get into racing against people like Max, people like Felix Rosenqvist, all these Formula E drivers, IndyCar drivers, Formula 2 drivers, that's cool as well. It's just a different kind of cool, if you know what I mean. Yeah, actually, 
So if you're on the track with some of these big names like that, is there an intimidation factor or are you practiced up enough to like where you're, you've got a cool head on your shoulders? Because I know, if, Tom, if you and I got on the track with anyone in, in Formula One or anyone that remotely has a big name in racing, we'd probably just be all over the track, giddy like schoolgirls. Just like, so, do you mean like so we are every single Sunday night at about, <laughs> about nine o'clock UK about time? Nine o'clock, right. <laughs> Can't even drive because we're just excited to be on the same track. Like, do you have problems with that? Or how do you react when you have those big names on the track? I wouldn't say I'm intimidated. I'm more intimidated about the sim races, you know? They're, they're the ones that know you better. They're the ones that know your weaknesses or know okay. your strengths. But coming against these real drivers, you also got to think that they're not spending as much time on the sim as you. They're not allegedly going to be as good as you, uh, as you might, some people might think. But um, yeah, I wouldn't say I've ever been too intimidated by any of them. I'm quite happy to race anyone. You make an interesting point where you say the actual sim racers or these real world drivers, because the actual sim racers are going to be like in your league. I'm doing air quotes, of course, but like they're going to study you and they're going to learn where you're weak on the track that you're racing them. They're going to learn if you're, if you're weak to a certain type of overtake. You're, that's an interesting point that you make right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's true. Every, every time you go into a race, you see someone, you're like, okay, I know that they do this or I know that they do that better than me. So you know exactly what they're going to do when you come to fighting with them. If you come against a real driver that you haven't raced as much, you're going to think, I'm unsure of what they're going to do. So... Tom has to do his rain dance so that his lights come back on. Oh, God, but yeah, for the for the benefit of anybody listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I have to I do this weird like waving airplane motion to get the lights to come back on. Sorry to to derail the conversation once again. <laughs> There's no other way of doing it. Anyway, anyway, I, I will ask a serious question because I've already used up my stupid question tokens. Um, you said something really interesting earlier, which was that you don't have a clue about well your words i have a clue about engineering setups how does that affect your ability to test because presumably in a sim racing team as organized as redline when you've got an event coming up there'll be a huge amount of testing to get the setups right so you must have a feel for it you must be able to tell an engineer oh i don't like it i don't like this about it so if it was a bit oversteery here understeery here it's a bit too unstable over the curbs here and then they go and alter things you must be kind of learning slowly through osmosis almost about the what how setups work well, it was only earlier on in my career that i would say i had no idea or i would press random buttons and see what happens but more now i've learned from all the people around me you know, i have got max you know he knows absolutely everything is incredible with this kind of stuff but yeah, i learn a lot the past year or so in setups and if you give me a car now i will say yeah that needs to happen to make that better but it's just that final little bit you know that fine tuning on the dampers or or anything it may be i i struggle with but it, i can make a car feel well balanced as such and is it something that you need to is it something that you kind of actively work on almost so so in your in your weekly routine do you do you put aside any time to study any element of what you're doing so be it setups or other driving styles or um you know where at most incidents were last time you raced that that track and that car in this series for example Do, is there any time allocated to kind of studying this craft it's, it's not necessarily studying a specific craft as you say but um if you're driving and you feel something that isn't right you just change whatever you think that may be the more you mess around the more you're going to find out so you know you, you you change around so many different things you're going to know okay that does that that does that it's a bit of trial and error but you know it, it's nothing like you know it's it's just these little things that are difficult but you know i i know roughly what to do so i've of course watched a ton of tutorials and things like that on setups and a lot of them are they'll say things like always adjust the camber of the wheel wheels by this many notches and then go from there is there anything that you can say you go into really let's say i racing and acc and you're like okay i'm always going to change these two settings every single time every single car 
because I know my driving style suits that, or is that kind of false information? No, it's it's difficult because every car and every track is different. Every every day on a track, if it's different weather, different, you know, it, everything can be different, and it's never going to be the same on every track. And I can never change the same thing on a car and say yes, that's going to make it just as good for me as it was at this track. Like that just never works. You have to change absolutely everything to make it feel good. I would say. Right, right. See, that that helps me a little bit because I was always like, this doesn't make sense. Changing the same thing on every car, on every track, like this, mm. that device right. sounds like complete garbage. And every single setting will affect the other settings you've done. So if you affect a wing, it's going to affect the dampers, which affects the ride height. So, and you're constantly kind of going in this circular motion until you land on, yeah. until you land on um, balance. Yeah, as I said, it's trial and error. You literally have to try everything until you find something you like, yes, that's it. It it felt right. It felt like it won't be any better. And uh, it's a good feeling when you get that after so many hours of preparation and so many hours of clicking buttons. I bet. Yeah. yeah. And like, now that you know that feeling, do you, (laughs) are you driving your car in a test lap and and you kind of know exactly what to go to now that you've, you've been experiencing it so you'll say oh i need i need more turn in so you know exactly what setting to go to it's 90 percent of the of the setup i will go yes that's what needs to be changed it will feel better or it will feel like this it's that last 10 percent that you know some of these really good engineers are like you just need to change this this and this to make this feel better i i struggle to, to like put the, all the little things together yeah the but, relationship um, of all the different settings. exactly like yeah. if you if you want to change the wing or mm. the right height so, you know you, you have to change one thing as a um i'm trying to think of the word as a compromise to another it's so interesting. It, it, it's settings difficult. can either complement or compromise the other settings that you've done, right? Exactly. Yeah. Tom, and I suppose the other, the other, the other unknown is the individual driving style. So you could come up, you go in this circular motion to eventually land on what is deemed by whoever as the perfect setup. But for someone else, it might not work because they like the car to be a bit pointier, or they they need a bit more spe- a bit more give over the curbs, or whatever it might be. Well, that, that's when you go to look at data and actual someone's actual driving. If you say, this feels perfect to me, I don't want to change anything, and somebody else has said, no, I prefer this, it's, uh, it's not exactly it for me, you, that's when you go, okay, well, we either find a compromise and we go in between the two of us so it feels okay for both of us, or we go and look at your driving in the data and we'll say, what are you doing different to me? How, how can you do this the same as me and make the car feel as, as it does for me? And um, at that, once you get that right, that's that's when you become unstoppable. So, what happens when? Have you ever had a scenario where you've been trying to come up with a setup between teammates, and there's two kind of polarizing approaches where it's all right. Well, I I prefer it like this. He prefers it like that. Where like how you know how are we going to meet in the middle? Does do you have like a number one driver and a number two driver, and number two has to adjust to number one, or especially with the, the amount number of kind of senior experienced drivers on your team how does that all work uh, well luckily in a team like redline you know we're all very good drivers and i think once you get to a point that you're all very good you're all going to have very similar driving styles mm. so you're all going to like a very similar thing it's never going to be exactly the same but it will be similar so if you take a setup and someone doesn't like it as i said you just go and look at data and you fix it some other way but there's never really been an issue like that in the team. But if you go to a team that maybe isn't as good or as well-known or whatever it might be, if they have a driver that is very good, they have a number one driver, and then they have a driver that isn't so right. good or is struggling, that's when you need to find... That's when a big difference is. A driver may like a lot of really understeery car, one might like a really oversteery car. So then you have to find a compromise because it's something you can't fix in driving when it's a, a bigger difference as that. Yeah, well, and this is, and the reason that this question came to mind was because 
you know, Max Verstappen famously has his his uh, teammates have always struggled a little bit with his setups. The, the what you get from the media is is uh, suggestions that the other drivers, the t- his teammates, think that he has it very kind of pointy at the front end. You know, it's very he likes a very oversteery car. Is that something that you experienced when you were doing a setup with him when you were his teammate in the sim? It is exactly the same. He loves the pointy car. Um... But, you know, I like say, Bath- I take Bathurst 12 as an example from last year. I like a pointy car as well. And once you have the same driving style, if you can make a setup that you both like and you both think is perfect, that's when I say it's it's unstoppable. No one's going to beat you. So, um, yeah, Very I, cool. it's the same in real life. I love those um, those stories of how the sim world and the real world overlap in such tangible ways. There's another area which I've always wondered how much sim racing is starting to cross over and that's fitness and kind of physical fitness so you said earlier that you drive for hours and hours and hours and you sweat in the rig so presumably that's because it's you know it's it's hard work it's not just concentration but you're always pushing against your force feedback and over time that's going to be uh fatiguing so do you have any kind of physical training program built into your your schedule by redline not not built by redline the the only thing i do is just eat as much rubbish food as i can possibly eat <laughs> make myself really unfit and then burn it off on the sim just like but the real no, drivers another exactly, example of the overlap exactly. that's exactly what i wanted to hear <laughs> i can feel no, perfect I, I do nothing to be honest i i'm quite happy sitting on my rig you know you have you have these rigs that maybe aren't as strong as mine and you have like the thrustmasters you can anyone can do that to be honest you can lean back one hand on the wheel doing the that kind of uh motion right. but on one of these some people may struggle but it's fine for me i i highly doubt that many people would struggle. yeah what about the kind of cognitives the cognitive side of things so we're touching there on the physical training what about mental training so you know you see a lot of um a lot of drivers using different techniques like the uh, you know the, like the big boppet the big kind of reaction um boards and then you've also got loads of um there's loads of software now where you can kind of uh, train your your cognitive ability your reaction times etc do you do anything like that no, the only thing I would struggle with mentally is is usually confidence. You know, I once once I lose my confidence, if I'm not almost on pace or if I'm not the fastest, I will get annoyed. I will lose my confidence and then I will have no pace. Mm. But the uh, I would say other things mentally. Most people just get you know muscle memory more than say doing the reaction thing like you like you said there. Most people will just get used to muscle memory around a track and it will be difficult to get it wrong at that point. And you get so used to it that it just sticks in your brain and you won't lose it. So question about force feedback. You know, a lot of people will will probably have their force feedback a lot more powerful than it would ever be in like a normal car, right? What do you set your wheel at? And then do you ever loosen it up so if you're on the on the rig for seven hours and you're like i'm just getting burned out do you ever loosen it up and just be easy on yourself after a little while i would say yes but the only issue would be with that is that as soon as you say turn it down a little bit the muscle memory then goes it goes away you 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 would turn with the same amount of force in your arms but the wheel would rotate more because Mm. you, you you're not putting well the wheel doesn't have as much force on your arms so um yeah generally speaking what do you have yours set at for <laughs> we're trying to get the inside scoop here aren't you and what about you here we're gonna get we're gonna get, get, the, get the tire pressures eventually yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh no so i have uh, i have my simi cube set to 100 percent in the uh simi cube profile and then i would have it set up to about 75 percent in game roughly wow. okay so I, I i have it quite strong i, I want to feel every single well, little burn thing off that that crap food that i got i gotta burn <laughs> off every bit of chocolate i eat exactly <laughs> you said um only weigh very little <laughs> you said your uh, confidence is a big issue now in sports generally a lot of very kind of uh, elite level athletes they talk about form form being a real thing you hear commentators always saying you know this player's on a good run of form or a bad run of form and you kind of get into these mental ruts all these you know you ride this mental wave of of perfection almost 
do you think that's just as applicable in sim racing? Do you notice yourself having like good spells and bad spells that are hard to break or you know easy to ride for long periods? Some people would say that they they don't have that issue, but I would say I I do because um, if if I don't have confidence, then I just go on a really bad run. As soon as I get one good result in, though, I, I start going on that that good form, that that good run of results or or whatever it may be. But I I would say you know struggling with confidence is is big for me because if I haven't got confidence, I don't have pace, and I don't get the results that I want. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You hear, you hear it a lot in the real world that, that, that drivers need both confidence in themselves and confidence in the car. Now, confidence in the car, I suppose, in sim racing is less of an issue because it's, it's binary, right? All the settings, the track, yeah. et cetera, is binary. There's, there's very little kind of natural evolution of a, of a track, and there's, there's, there's fewer unknown unknowns, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, confidence in a real car, you, know, you have these people that go out and if you do crash, it's going to hurt. You crash on the sim, it may not matter, it probably won't matter, but in a race like, say, Le Mans Virtual again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you mentally, not physically, but mentally, and that is then going to lead you onto that, you know, that ropey downhill that's going to send you into yeah. another spiral of bad results. So um, yeah, let's talk about good results then. Tell us about your your best result in the sense of which one felt the best to you. There's no doubt about it that it was Bathurst 12 last year. That 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 race couldn't have gone much more perfect. Tell us the story. So yeah, well, it's a funny story actually with Max B and my teammate. So I was originally four days before the race supposed to be racing with one of my teammates, uh, Gianni Vecchio. Janny then pulled out because he got annoyed, which I thought was, I was like, yep, brilliant. So then I was going to get put into a car. Annoyed with, about what? He, was, he couldn't drive the car as well oh. as some of the others could. He, he was struggling. So maybe that was, again, that confidence going. Yeah. yeah. But um, I was then put into a car with Danny Junkadea and Shane Van Gisbergen. And Max was at that point supposedly taking a break from sim racing. And then he said... No, I don't want a car with three people in. I'm going to race. So then three days before the race, he sets the rig up. He got on, does a test race with us. He's all pumped up. He's ready. Uh, came to quali. I put it fifth on the grids because there was some absolute rubbish on iRacing with brake dragging at that time. Um, I couldn't do it properly. Max then had quite the battle with Josh Rogers in his first stint. Uh, he brought me. He got me the car in the lead. I I then went out of the pits, and we was dragging behind uh, Team Redline teammates in the BMW, Max Benecke and Patrick Holtzman. Uh, we dragged them around for three hours. We we got a big gap to P3 at that point. We had about thirty seconds on the whole field in about three hours. Um, I had a very very near miss in in literally my third lap of the race. It was millimeters from the wall and millimeters from a from a Lambo. And uh, that almost Yikes. ended both of our cars' races. That was very scary moment. Wow. And then from from then the race was just plain sailing. It was laps after laps after laps. The car was ridiculously good. And of course I was doing it with Max the whole time. We had a team redline stream up on Twitch. We, we uh, consistently had two thousand viewers the whole way through it. So you know that was brilliant. It was it was just perfect. And then even after we'd uh, finished the race. I did the jump at Bathurst and I absolutely nailed it. So I think that was even better than the race. So, uh, nice. yeah, that, that was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like a pretty memorable highlight in anyone's, uh, in anyone's sim racing career. It must've been quite nerve wracking when you had that near miss, knowing that yeah. you've got such a, not just the team watching, but such a large audience. Now, presumably as you've raced, more and more and more and you've you've kind of gone up through the teams you've had to get used to people watching your race commenting on your race commentating on your race like how have you how have you dealt with that me i just don't think about it i just drive do my thing pretend no one's watching pretend there's nothing at stake drive like it's practice that's what i try and do but that that was I knew as soon as I'd gone past that, I was like, that's going to look absolutely amazing on the stream. I was like, that's, that's going to go viral or something. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, there's that much between the wall and the, and the car. I was, 
but yeah, it, it was cool, but also very, very scary. So in the same vein then, if that was your best memory, what's been the most, let's call it challenging memory you've got? What's been the, what's been the toughest part of the career so far? Uh, well, I was in Sim Live this year, BMW Sim Live. It's a very big event with a very big prize pool uh, just a few months ago. And um, we came to the race. I'd struggled the whole way through practice. And on, on the day of the race, I was like, I've got it sorted now. I was really quick, was really confident. I went into quali and I think my heart rate went to about 400 BPM. My jeg, my jegs went to Lelly. My legs went to jelly. <laughs> my legs went straight to There's jelly. I went into podcast episode right there. <laughs> <laughs> my legs went to jelly. I went into turn one, completely messed it up. Turn two, completely messed it up. Messed up almost all the corners on the track. I qualified, I think, third to last. And then we actually got through to sit. I actually got through to sixth just after the, uh, after turn two. And we was team wow. redline D1 to 6 at that point. And I was like, this is perfect. We could not ask for, for anything more. And then my teammate may have initiated one of the biggest crashes I have ever seen in my life, which took me out with it. Oh, no. So, yeah, my, my race lasted two corners before I had about two hours of repairs in the pit. Oh, yikes. Everything oh. was broken. That that was that was just heartbreaking. I was just sat there in my room, head and hands. I I was absolutely fuming. You know, I worked the whole year up to get into that event, mm. and then that happened after what thirty seconds in the race. It was very annoying, but you know that's racing at the end of the day. When when that happens, when you have one of those just races that completely breaks you mentally, do you have any strategies that you use or any? Uh, anything that you could give maybe some of the viewers and listeners that are that struggle with that once in a while like just ways to overcome that and get back onto your pace again well the first thing would be a dominoes <laughs> usually that 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 one works as a theme here <laughs> yeah well it's a lot of food involved in my life um yeah first of all it'd be a dominoes but then i would just have to look back and think well, at least i got to the event look at where i was after those first two corners think of the results you had leading up to that you know you, there's no reason why you can't do that again so you just need to look at how you've done in the past and what you've done in the past to get there and um realize that you can still do it yeah sim racing is interesting just like any other sport out there you can practice 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 train 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 and then just one thing goes wrong and everything's over for that race game yeah. whatever whatever it may be it's uh yeah. It's interesting yeah, it's to, to compare it to real world motorsport because like you mentioned earlier, you're obviously hurt in a crash, you're nothing's gonna happen to you, but the mental toll could be the same. The exact yeah, well, there was I don't know, I think I think it was a sixty thousand euro prize pool or something for that one race. Oh man. So uh yeah, it it was heartbreaking, but um it is what it is at the end of the day. I got there's always next year, is what right. I always think. So when you're not training what would be, I, I know we did mention that a lot of the time practicing for the next event, but if you could pick any game, any game that's a sim out there in the world, what would be your relaxation game where you can kind of throw on some tunes and just have a good time? A specific sim racing game? Yeah. I uh, would AC straight away. I get on Shotoku. Oh. Usually, usually a, a shiitake server with AI traffic and uh, a, a few of my teammates, to be honest, will just sit there 350 kilometers an hour straight into some AI, <laughs> let off some steam. You know, it, it, it's fun. You know, we'll, we'll sit there crying, laughing. And, and that, that is what I do to, I don't know, sort of get rid of stress or get rid of heat. And nice. since you mentioned it, what about a non-sim game? What I was about to it? ask that same question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Co-op co FIFA with Max is always fun. Nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that is very funny. Um, and COD, COD as well. Always yeah. on COD. Um, or most of the team is on COD, to be honest. Yeah, I, I mean, COD is one of the games that if I'm not sim racing, I'm probably playing yeah. that game. I think that's, I mean, it's a very popular game, so it makes sense. Actually, the yeah, yeah. team every once in a while would be like, hey, this is, meeting's a wrap. Let's, uh, let's play some COD. Or, or yeah. it's, should we do a? Or the meeting's about to start. Should we do the meeting on card? <laughs> and then no meeting happens. 
Yeah, so you go to do the meeting, smash the table down in the middle of the meeting. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't on the agenda. <laughs> um, so we've had a, a question come in on the YouTube live chat. Kevin Siggy asks, how does it feel to be in the number one car for Le Mans? Ah, that's funny, that from Kevin. <laughs> very, very funny because I'm not in the number one car. I figured, I figured there, there's definitely some people yeah. in the chat who know you very well. There's some questions here. The, I don't know if Just I well, this one I might, this one I might rephrase slightly is from someone called Burnsy. It's a sim racing question. How would you react if Lullum is behind you with, and this is a bit I'm going to edit, hard compound tires on? Yeah, I know, I know what he's implying there. That's Tom Burns. He's in Ford Dilla. Um, he would never get the opportunity to do something like this. So <laughs> <laughs> just got to drop that in there. But yeah, Lollum is also one of my teammates and uh, I know what he's implying there and I, I don't want to answer that. So uh, yeah, we'll move swiftly on from that. So uh, something I did pick up from uh, the Sim Racing Expo this year, last year, um, and you know the various guests that we've had on the podcast who then attract with them a group of, of their... Um, fans, followers, friends, teammates, etc., is that at the highest levels of sim racing, everyone seems to know each other. Like most people in a team know a lot of the other people in all the other teams. Is there a bit of community that survives the intense competition that you're experiencing at that level? For sure, definitely. There's, uh, there's a few Discord servers where almost all of the people in sim racing or the top level of sim racing are in. Uh, they're all friendly conversations until there's a crash between them two people or, or something like that. But then maybe it becomes a bit more difficult, but I, I don't think I have any grudge with anyone, I hope. Um, not that you know of. <laughs> not, not that I know of, but, uh, but yeah, no, it, it, I'd say it was... a. Uh, a fairly non-toxic community uh, at most times. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've definitely felt the same walking around the Sim Racing Expo because we had the, the paddock around the back of the stage where you had all the booths with all the teams and Redline was there and Fordzilla was there and Williams were there and it was lots of people walking between the booths. You could see everyone was in their jerseys, of course, so you'd go to any given booth would have three or four different jerseys in it with people catching up because... Presumably you meet at a lot of the events and some will be remote so you don't get to meet each other and some are in person. So tell us about the in-person events you've done. You said that sometimes your schedule involves flights. What sort of events do you get to go to? What's, what's been the coolest like local event you've been able to do? Locally, well, I think the, the race spot, I think it was race spot summit, I think uh, earlier last year, May last year or so, it was a, a quite a few top sim racers went to simply race again, simply race. Um, we all went there for a, <laughs> for, for a little event on iRacing. And um, it was very cool. We had like all the apex racing team guys there. We had, we had even people like Alejandro Sanchez fly over. Um, and that was a cool event, I think. That's the first time I've been there and seen all the people that I've raced online in person. And then we've had events where we go over to Netherlands and we'll go and see our teammates in, in the Redline office. And uh, we, we, we can have a good time. We shoot some content and, uh, yeah, I suppose that's all we do. Do you prefer in-person events or remote events when you're racing? In-person, for sure. Really? Even because I'm assuming you don't bring your setup, so you no. prefer racing I, on the their provided setups if it has, yeah, has to be. I I prefer for everyone to be on a rig that maybe isn't as good as the one at home. I, I I I just much prefer a level playing field, and I feel because I've come from a very very amateur level rig, I would say. Um, I feel like I may have the advantage on some people in that, in that sense. And okay. uh, so, so yeah, I prefer that. I feel like it gives me the advantage and it's, it's still a level playing field. That actually makes sense. Cause in my mind, I was thinking that it would be, I would be, you'd prefer remote events for some reason, because you're like, Oh, because I'm so used to my rig. I'm so used to my surroundings that I'm going to race better. But then, yeah, that. Completely no. the opposite answer that I expected from you. <laughs> yeah, I quite like to go to an event and get used to something new. I feel like I'm better at getting some, getting used to something new more than other people. So, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to go and do a, a LAN event. Nice. 
So where now. is this heading? What's the, what's, the, what's the goal here? Sorry, I think I just interrupted your question, Chris. No, you're fine. You on about uh, my sim racing career? Yeah. So how where, how do you see this? Do you are you kind of all in? This is what I want to do. I can see a clear path of how I can get to the top and make this my living, and I want to achieve X, Y, and Z. Or is it a case of kind of just taking things as they come, because you know the competitions are, are, are still getting. We're still we're not at the CS:GO stage yet. There's not millions in in prize funds, etc. So with it's as a as an esports sector, it's still growing. Like how, how do you see yourself in it? At the moment, I, I, I take things as they come. I'm still very young, so, you know, I, I still have opportunities open in wherever I want to go. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of people in this team where they have the links to people that can maybe give you opportunities outside of sim racing, maybe in the engineering, maybe, in, maybe even in the sim setups at factories, real factories, and helping the drivers. So I, I believe that something can come of this that I can use for the next however many years. But for the moment, I'm happy just doing the sim racing that I'm doing. Now, what do you think about Tom's comment about, you know, we're not as big as CSGO and stuff. Obviously, I don't, I don't feel like we'll ever get as big as like Call of Duty League. And I, when I say we, I'm referring to sim racing in general. But do you, do you think that... Do you think that it's going to ultimately be one of the bigger esports out there? I mean, I would like to think so. I'd say it was very niche at the moment, but you have all these big drivers coming in and, and promoting it. I see no reason why there wouldn't be a lot of people that turn up and like it and decide to have a go or want to bring money into it. You get these investors. Maybe it won't be a big as uh, maybe it won't be as big as Call of Duty, but um i think it will get bigger than it is now yeah yeah uh, have, things on the horizon do you have any worries that maybe big investment is going to change sim racing in any maybe negative way uh i th i can think i can think of a reason yeah oh, and uh what is that that would be is that people genuinely stop doing it for fun and other events that maybe are cooler than an event with loads of money don't get the drivers that they want you you have an event that that does look really cool but there's not a million pounds in it then right. people aren't going to do it because they're focusing on an event that has loads and loads of money in it one thing that kind of sticks out in my mind <clears throat> is right now the way that sim racing is it's almost a anybody's game so like you said, you know, you, you popped in at, at a very young age and just won a bunch of races and you were able to, to jump in without much of a barrier. And I think the more money that we do start to see come into sim racing and some of the big teams and the big signings is going to separate the field a little bit, kind of like professional football or professional, you know, like NFL here in America, stuff like that. So I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, we keep, keep going into this massive sim racing expo on the American side. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> events where you know it just feels like this kind of close-knit community but i do worry a little bit about the money changing it quite a bit yeah now. yeah well it's the same with call of duty and you know, yeah because there's so many people that play it though because it's so accessible there is still people that play the game for fun you know like me mm -hmm. or, or like most of the average people but then you have it's so separated the professional side to the normal average player side a bit like sim racing could go if if so many so much money comes in yeah I'm, I'm really hoping that that money doesn't ultimately separate it out to where there's like the professional sim racing and then the amateur sim racing I yeah the yeah. way it's kind of intermingled right now exactly well yeah. go ahead Tom. there was um there was, there was a, on this point there was that interesting scenario last year where Formula One, the Formula One game brought out a different set of physics for the F1 esports series. So the, the guys who were driving in that series would have, their, their cars would react differently to the people who were just racing casually or even racing in leagues. So the two biggest leagues, PSGL, WOR, etc., they were furious because all the big drivers, all the big names um, that ultimately people were watching the PSGL and WR streams for, 
they had no incentive to race in league racing. It was no longer good training because it wasn't the same as the F1 esports series. So mm-hmm. they, you know, if you could choose between racing like a slightly different setup that's made for your average gamer and like losing that muscle memory or practicing the F1 esports physics engine, then you would do that, which meant that they then weren't going uh, and, and league racing. And I remember George Morgan, who we've had on this show, did a very kind of impassioned uh, plea to Codemasters about, look, this is going to be the death of league racing and therefore, you know, the eventual, de- like, like, you know, your, your, your most hardcore fans will absolutely hate this and, and potentially stop, uh, stop racing the game because of it. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that, that to me is just complete rubbish, changing the physics of a game, because you look at iRacing, there's people that have just started out, they're driving, I don't know, Ferrari GT3 fixed. That car is still the same as it is for the pros when they use it for a big event. And if you're learning on the amateur side of things to start off with, you get really good, and then you go to do the pro thing, and it's basically relearning the whole thing over again. I don't see the point. I think it's complete rubbish. Yeah, yeah and so did most of the community. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> did they ultimately end up rolling it back? I, d- I didn't follow this story. Uh, yes, they did. Yeah, yeah, for that for that exact reason. Uh, they listened to the community and, and rolled it back. And then for the next game that came out, um, as I understand it, it wasn't a thing anymore, which is, which is, in my opinion, quite right. Anyway, moving away from F1 and on to... Um, iRacing. I'm curious. So I recently have kind of rekindled my love for iRacing and I'm absolutely loving the Formula 3 and uh, the Porsche Cup series. It's, I'm kind of doing them at lunchtimes at the moment and oh. it's a lot of fun and it's kind of, and I love that kind of competition system they've, that they've got. Do you do any of the kind of official series on iRacing that isn't practice for a series that's coming up just for fun? If I have the time, I will, yes. I will look at the upcoming weeks and I'll be like, oh, that looks like a good combo. I'm going to have a go at that. I'm going to see what I can do. And, you know, always through the past three years, I would say, when I've been doing iRacing, you know, those those first two years was purely just keep doing official races. Do, do what you think is fun. Do what you're enjoying. Do what you're good at. And uh, that is eventually what actually got me into Redline was a, th- a few official races. I, uh, I was racing Porsche Cup at Nordschleife one week, and then I think it was the Lamborghini GT3 at Brands Hatch. Um, and I, I was just on top of everyone that week. And, it, you know, it is a way into professional esports, I would say, those official races. And, uh, yeah, they're fun. When it comes to games, so obviously iRacing is a big one. ACC, another big one. Are you excited for things like Rensport to shake up the landscape a little bit? Definitely. Without a doubt, I think something new is needed. We haven't had a new sim racing game for a while. We had, what, ACC? I don't know how many years ago that was, but I've never really gone into that. And apart from that, it's been mainly iRacing, Garfactor, and AC. And they're all very old games. So, you you know, something new is, is needed, I would say. Yeah, hopefully, even if, let's say, Rensport doesn't take the industry by storm, if we, if you will, hopefully that pushes iRacing to maybe do a graphics layer update or something like that. Because I know this is completely unrelated, but Fortnite went from old Unreal Engine to a new Unreal Engine, and it completely changed the feel of the game visually. I think iRacing is about at that level where it's kind of due for an, a nice layer of paint update. Because, you know, mm. it, while it does drive great, and I, I absolutely do like iRacing, I could go for a little bit of a prettier game, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I think on the on the horizon in the next hopefully few seasons <laughs> in iRacing, they should be bringing rain out, and I think that will be a proper new lease of life for iRacing. And a lot of people will go back to it. They'll think, "Oh, this is brilliant!" And after all the years they've spent developing it, you'll hope that it will be very good. Right. And uh, I think that be just as good as getting a new game such as Rensport. Yeah, well, interestingly, Rensport is going to be subscription just like iRacing. How do you feel about subscription-based games versus buy it and play it and then buy the DLCs type games? I, I would say I have the similar opinion on buying the game outright and 
to having a subscription base i wouldn't i i don't really don't mind i'd say a subscription base is maybe a bit more professional because a lot of people will usually buy a game outright play it for a couple hours and then leave it or whatever but on a subscription base i think more people will play it for longer but, agree, but it is a lot more expensive but i agree you know, on that, that one 100 and and the one thing about the subscription-based games and even software or just subscriptions in general, right? The one thing that I think benefits is, and I don't know if this is necessarily true, but it feels like the plan for long-term support with a subscription-based service is there, whereas mm. a purchase it and then it's done kind of a game feels like, okay, well, is this game going to die in a year or less? Like, will there be any player base? At least you know when you subscribe to iRacing, you have dedicated people that want to race and it, also yeah. race well. Because someone can buy F1 2022 for 60 bucks and then just be that, that tornado that wrecks everybody on the track. But when yeah. you're in a subscription-based service that tracks your licenses and you can get banned and you know, race craft is really important, you're actually going to have people that care about racing. Yeah, it's the perfect comparison, really, iRacing and RFAC. Uh racing and f1 they're, they're complete opposites is f1 you buy the game and then you're going to have loads of people that will just sit there shunt you out of races and leave i i go into i racing even my first race is is clean racing and it's professional if you do take someone out they, they're gonna get banned i think it keeps it really professional even though it's not professional esports i would say uh, at the beginner level of i racing and uh, it's much better than something like f1 yeah I completely agree. I completely agree. I'm I'm falling back in love with it. But I am just like you two very excited about Ren Sport. And it's definitely branding itself as the new sim racing. It's like the future of sim racing is Ren Sport is is what they're um claiming. But the details of what that is, I'm not so sure. So putting this to you, Luke, if you we're able to sit in front of the developers of, of Rensport and tell them what you would want to see in Rensport in order that it would be a significant step up on sim racing generally. Like, what do you think sim racing needs? Like, what, what do you think Rensport could do to truly elevate it to the next level of sim racing? Hmm. It would purely say basically an updated version of iRacing because I see nothing wrong with iRacing apart from the fact it is a bit old. So I, I, see, I don't think iRacing do anything wrong, to be honest, for, for, for people that are beginners and for people that are professionals. So I think maybe some better graphics, some more cars or whatever it may be, the weather, you know, just more accessible features for anyone, really. What do you think about the concept of digital ownership of your cars? Ooh. NFT. I, I have not looked into that. I, I, I know that the, the, some people in Rensport are getting really annoyed with people calling them NFTs. <laughs> I, I think I saw it at one point. But, um, so I specifically I, said digital I ownership. Right. Yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I have not heard anything about that. I, I do not know, to be honest. You know, in my personal opinion, <clears throat> what would make Red Sport better than iRacing in my eyes would be if that membership that you pay for also gives you the tracks. Let's say there's tiered memberships yeah, and true. you do, let's say I do a dirt membership where I get all the dirt tracks and the cars, but I have this much money to pay. Then if I want to do road, I can upgrade that membership to dirt and road. It's, it really feels weird to me in, in where you pay a membership fee and then you have to buy every single little piece of content as well. That's where it kind of separates in my mind to where it's, it feels like a good solid membership versus it feels like a, a lot of money grabbing in a, in a way. If, yeah, if I, I racing is incredibly expensive. I think literally even at 14 years old, I, I just bought all that rig and a PC that's very expensive. And then I got onto yeah. iRace and I was like, I can't even compete in some of these official races because I can't get the content. You know, you, well, yeah. you, you go buy every piece of content on iRace and it comes out as, you know, almost $2,000. It's, it's ridiculous if you, if you do think about it. So that's a good point you make about maybe it being a little bit cheaper. Maybe it's fine being a subscription, but you need to get all of the content. 
there I feel like it could it could benefit by having a couple different tiers of membership. So like maybe you have the base racing where it's just the free con- the content that is given to you but you have the membership account that attracts your rating and all that stuff. But another tier where you're like okay, I want to buy this dirt season for season 1 2023. But that you just upgrade your membership for that, and you just always have the dirt stuff every single season, or the stuff, or the oval stuff, whatever it may be. I really think that would help a lot because I don't know if it's my old mindset or not, but it feels like when I subscribe to something, I should get that thing rather than yeah. subscribe to it to be able to buy more stuff on it. It feels mm-hmm. kind of kind of strange to me, but I I could see iRacing doing better if. You, when you originally pay for that subscription, you can compete in every different series, but you can buy other cars if you want to try them. But you should always have at least a base car for each series for you to be able to, you know, at least compete. Yeah, you have you have at least one car, so you exactly can play everything. Um, exactly, tracks, tracks are kind of interesting. So. I don't know how I feel about buying tracks either, but it, it almost feels like I'd either want to buy tracks or buy cars, not mm. both of them. So yeah. like if your membership included cars or included tracks, but you had to like fill the gaps for the content that you want. Um, I think I, I would, I would like it better if it was, you have all the tracks, you can sign up for absolutely anything you want, but we only give you a collection of baseline cars for, for racing. And then if you want anything additional, you can buy the extra stuff. It's like or, the official iRacing car instead of even being branded at all. Just mm. the iRacing car. <laughs> yeah, and maybe even something like you can buy all of the uh, content for that series at a very, like a much smaller price. Because you right. think about, uh, I don't know, let's just take the RSGT Sprint for an example. You have to pay for 12 tracks. And then you have to make sure you've got the right car for each track, which comes out something stupid you know it's 200 dollars 250 dollars for a for a three-month period it's it's stupid if, if you can pay 30 dollars for a whole series then i think that's reasonable yeah i agree on that one and it's kind of there's a weird marrying of real world motorsport versus virtual motorsport here where i think we've talked about it before tom where we're like mm. okay the real world guys come into sim racing and they're like oh 1500 bucks for all the content. Pfft, okay, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Us sim racing guys are like $1,500. What? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's the same with Max on FIFA. He's like, FIFA points? How many can I buy? Uh, and he's like, <laughs> wow. can I get all of them? But uh, yeah, no, it's, I guess that is the way with real drivers is they're usually quite wealthy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they, they can come on and they may not know exactly what they're buying as such their version of life is just slightly different than, than <laughs> very slightly version. yes <laughs> yes so we are at the hour mark so we need to start thinking about doing some driving so yeah. every single week we uh with our guest we go onto a track and a car of our guest's choice um in an open lobby completely open lobby on a set of courses so anybody watching right now uh, feel free to join us. The link is in the chat. Uh, it's a set of courses. It's all base content, so everyone can join. But while we're setting that up, Chris, curveball, we didn't discuss this before the show, but I think we should bring something back, something we did in the first 10 or so episodes, but then we just stopped doing. I think we should ask Luke to ask our next oh, yeah. guest a question. So... Luke, next week we have Robbie Stapleford from G2 Esports joining us on the show. You can now pose any question to him and we will ask it on your behalf during the show next week. Do you know Robbie? I don't. Never spoken to him. <laughs> I, I, well, this I is a first thing. Consider Esports. this an introduction. This is like a blind date. <laughs> no, blind date. Right, okay. Blind dating on podcasts about sim racing. What, yeah, what a mix. It's niche. It's niche. <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of question I could ask. Um, In hindsight... How, how maybe... easy is it for him to swap between all the different sims? Mm. So, okay. iRacing, R-Factor, ACC, what, whatever right. that may be. How, how, how easy he finds that. 
Great. That's a great question. Brilliant. Well, we'll pose that to him <clears throat> next week, Sunday, 8 p.m. on the Sim Sundays podcast. Yes, okay. we will. Chris. And then, uh, <clears throat> we're going to switch to racing now. So anyone listening on podcast services, that's going to do it for this episode. And if you'd like to participate in the race, we record the races live on YouTube at 8 p.m. UK time. That is 3 p.m. U.S. East. And, you know, we do a different car and track combination each week based on the guests' preferences. And that's about it. Any last words, Tom? For the podcast? Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, thanks for listening again. This year, this year, we have some incredible guests. So I suppose just to say that I am very excited for the Sim Sundays podcast. I mean, obviously, I was excited last year. Last <laughs> year was great. We, we started it and it was from nothing. And it's, it's, it's been very, very cool to, to do each week. But we have some, some very cool guests this year. Um, and I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm excited for our future episodes. So thanks to our sponsor, Track Racer, for the for the rig I'm in, as as per. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thank you very yeah, much. That'll do it for this episode. Uh, you can get us on Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube if you want to watch the live show. Thanks for listening, podcast listeners. We'll see you next week, or talk to you next week. Right. Hey, this is Chris from GridFinder. Thanks for listening to the Sim Sundays podcast. Head on over to gridfinder.com to find your spot on the grid and join sim racing leagues for all your favorite games. Just enter your preferred game, car of choice, then let us know if you'd like to race PC, Xbox, or PlayStation, and we'll give you a list of actively recruiting leagues for you to join. And if you're a league owner, post your league on Gridfinder so that you run with a full grid for every race. If you're looking to upgrade your sim rig, visit the episode sponsor TrackRacer at trackracer.com. Thanks for being here.